God, thanks so much for these friends. Thanks for their, um, for their commitment, for their faithfulness, for uh, their love for you and for your church. I pray that um, myself and Pastor Aaron and Pastor Travis uh, would serve you well as we seek to serve them, as we seek to uh, equip them, uh, equip all of us for the work of ministry, to the building up of your body for your glory and for our joy. That's what we're here to do, God. We all need to be equipped uh, so that we might live out your mission in ways that are effective and glorifying to you. Uh, so help us. Even, even for those of us who are presenting and teaching and trying to lead breakouts, and uh, we, we need it just as much. And so teach us what you would today, God. Order our thoughts. Give us wisdom and discernment uh, so that we might, um, we might lead well and so that as we talk together as brothers and sisters in Christ, we might encourage one another and build one another up so that we might accomplish all that you want to in the mission that you've given us here at Sound City Bible Church. We love you, God. We pray all these things through your Son and by your Spirit. Amen. So I was thinking about this. Um, we're family here, so we can be honest. That's part of our church value, walking in the light. How many people were like me, and the first time Pastor Shane preached, you were nervous because you're thinking, oh, all right, we just hired this guy. Is he going to lay an egg, or is he actually going to be any good? Was anybody else nervous? I admittedly, I had never heard him preach, and I'm like... I had worked with him for a while, so I, I knew I loved working with him, but I was like, gosh, can he preach? We're about to put him on stage. And I'm just thinking, he's probably thinking the same thing today, like, all right, I've never heard Travis teach. Is he going to lay an egg? So this is uh, your first. I wasn't, but I am now. <laughs> so, um, man, I want to thank all of you guys for coming. I know that this is a big sacrifice when you take additional time um, away from your family or, my gosh, it's sunny today, like, Early spring, sunny days, and like spending them inside is like one of the biggest sacrifices you can make. So I fully acknowledge the sacrifice, and I thank you guys for being here. Um, I'm super excited. I feel like the past year, you know, in, in very real terms, has been a trauma for us as a church in a lot of ways. And I feel like there have been a lot of dialogue and things that we want to see and move forward and health and kind of, you know, we know there's still a lot of caring to be done in the healing, but there's also like an excitement around, man, let's let's get back to thinking about the work God's doing and where he's leading us. And um, a lot of what I get to talk about today is in some regards, a culmination of God's work in my life over the past eight years. And so as I've been preparing and thinking back, I've been like, man, these are a lot of areas God has deeply challenged my perspectives on and grown me in as I, as I you know, these areas that we'll be talking about. He's grown me in these last eight years. So I'm excited about getting to teach and to talk through these things. Um, before we launch into training, I'll tell you this. This is always running through the back of my mind. My background before um, coming here, the bulk of my work life was in uh, financial services. I recruited and trained agents for a financial services company. I actually still have my licenses. I just don't actively pursue that or work with clients anymore, really. Um, but so in that training, our company was a little unique in that most of our agents started part-time. When you're working with a part-time sales force, it's basically working with volunteers. So when we ran training meetings or things like that, the meetings had to be valuable because if I was going to ask them to take time away from their families, they had to see results or they weren't going to stick around. And so in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking, don't waste my time. Make sure this is valuable. And when you're sitting here, know that everything we're putting together, we are not asking you to commit time just so we can have people together for a little hoorah. Like, we really believe that there's valuable things that as a church we need to be unified on and that we want to see people trained in. Um, there's always that mixed bag. Some of y'all that are here have probably heard and are very equipped and very trained in some of these areas. Um, and often the folks that aren't are the ones that aren't here. So part of this is an ask that in the future, we're going to be talking about the training for the year and what we're going to be doing because we need your help 
encouraging the other folks that aren't here to be involved in the future. But that kind of puts a big task on my shoulders uh, today that we know I, I can't lay an egg. Like we, and, and I say we because we've done a lot of talk together as elders to bring this together. This isn't just my work. This is our work as elders to talk about what do we want to highlight? What do we want to see our people trained in? So we'll do our best to make sure that this is valuable time for you guys. Um, but that kind of sends us to some ground rules for today. Um, which way do I point this? It was working earlier. There we go. So I think maybe I point up. <laughs> Eric's telling me there. Um, ground rules. First of all, I want you guys to be engaged. Like, I want this to be more of a dialogue. I am not preaching. Um, I am teaching, and we're here talking. So um, you can interrupt me. You can challenge thoughts. You can ask questions, especially clarifying questions. If I'm ranting about something and you don't feel like it's clear, stop and ask me. I want you to be engaged in this process. I want to challenge you to connect the dots. Um, these are not just ethereal ideas we're talking about out here. And, and if we leave and that's where this is sitting with you, it's just some idea out here and it's not relevant, then we've dramatically missed the mark. I want to make sure that when you leave, you've connected the dots and you're thinking about how this actually relates to you, the life you live, the ministry God's called you to, your workplace, your family. So this should be affecting you personally. Um, and then I want you to get feedback. Uh, one of my biggest frustrations, because we've now, with community group things and leadership things, like been teaching for the last few years here at the church, and I have almost never received any critical feedback saying, hey, if you did X, that might be more fruitful. But I've heard plenty of people like, ah, I quit coming because it didn't feel fruitful. I'm like, well, wait a minute. I asked for feedback. You didn't give me any, so that's on you, man. So for you guys, y'all have an open ticket to send me constructive feedback, um, send it with nice words, not like, my gosh, you're terrible, like send it with nice words so I can receive it. But I would love to know like what can be done to make these more fruitful. Cause if we're going to take a Sunday, especially a sunny Sunday afternoon, I want to make sure that you walk away saying, wow, that was very worth it. I feel very fed. I feel encouraged and equipped. So please give me feedback on what we can do to make these more fruitful for you guys in the future. Um, with those, let's kind of talk about why are we here? Why would we encourage you guys to take a Sunday afternoon and to come be a part of this? Um, first and foremost, we really want everyone to understand and to own the mission statement of Sound City Bible Church. Um, how many of y'all, either at work, like your, your job maybe has like this high and lofty mission statement, you're like, that sounds great for the company, but what does that mean for me as an employee? Has anybody ever felt that? How many of y'all, uh, and this is the interactive part, like nodding heads is hard to tell, but like hands or something like keep yourself awake. We just had potluck, so move around a little. Um, how many of y'all with, with Mars Hill, uh, if you were in the Mars Hill days, you heard, man, we're going to make disciples and plant churches. How many of y'all heard that and thought, well, that's great for Mars Hill, but what, what do I do? Like, I don't understand how that means for me. Did anybody ever feel that? It's okay. You can be honest. We, we can't be good stewards of what God has called us to if there's only a handful of us running around that feel like that mission statements mean something. Like every one of us should be able to walk away and say, man, I know what that means, not just for the church, but for me and my life. Like that is very intentionally, the mission statement very intentionally designed to be something that would capture what it means, not for the church, but for the individuals in the church. So we're going to spend a lot of time today unpacking the mission statement. And that's kind of the goal that you would understand and own the mission statement. Now, as I look around, there are a lot of folks that aren't here. My concern is, man, how are they going to understand and own the mission statement? Because about half of y'all said you didn't understand and own the mission statement previously. So we don't want to run that same risk. So what I would ask is, take the stuff you learned today 
and go unpack that in discussions with the people you know from the church, with your service teams, with your community groups, whatever area God has you in. Have dialogue with folks and, and check and ask, hey, do you really understand what that mission statement means for you? So this is very much a we're equipping you to go and have these discussions with the rest of the body that's not able to be here today. So we want you to understand uh, and own the mission statement. The other is we want to equip you to live out the mission uh, statement of the church. Um, we want everyone who calls the church home to feel like they are equipped so they can jump into the front lines of the work that God's doing and be involved. Um, I can't stress enough, and I'll say this several times throughout the day today, but we cannot be good stewards of what God has called us to if we have a mentality that, you know, the, 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 the getting equipped and doing the heavy lifting and the work in the ministry, that's for a few select mature believers, and the rest of us are just here to kind of view and watch sermons on Sunday and do attend community groups. There is a part for everyone to play in the actual doing the work of the ministry, and we can't be good stewards of the people God brings here and the opportunities God's bringing us if we as a collective are not feeling equipped and engaged to the work that God's calling us to. Does that make sense? So that's what our kind of goal and our hopes are for today. Now, that leads to a question. Who can recite the mission statement of Sound City Bible Church? I know we're early on, so Pastor Aaron doesn't count. If you've got the notes printed out, that doesn't count because you can read them. But who thinks just from memory, they can give it a go, Kyle. That is not it. We are not about silence. We want to make a sound. Absolutely. So well done. Um, man, and pass for all of you guys. We're early on, and y'all weren't in the room writing this thing. I get it. It's been said a few times from the stage. We don't have it written down many places, so um, it's hard to get locked into mind. But man, I want to encourage all of y'all. It's fairly simple. It's short enough that it can be memorized, but I want to encourage y'all to really think about taking that, memorizing it, and ingraining it in. Because um, I want, you know, as you're talking with folks, and especially as we work through the different chunks of this today, the hope is if you ever sat down at a restaurant and were talking with somebody, you could really walk through a fruitful discussion of what this means, and then it would be locked into your memory. Um, a couple things to note. This is not just a, a cute saying that we worked up out of thin air, like, oh, that kind of sounds good. That's got a good ring to it. Um, we actually spent a lot of time dialoguing around what are, we looked at different churches, mission statements, things of that, and we wanted it to be deeply grounded in Scripture. Um, my pet peeve in churches I was at previous to here was they would always try and come up with these catchy ways to talk about, I mean, God's, it's God's purpose, his mission statement. Really, he rolled it out, like, go and make disciples. So most of it, Scripture's already declared, but churches would often try and spin it in a cute little way. And, and you'd always end up with something that, sure, it sounds right in your context, but it misses so many like fundamental aspects of what God's overarching mission is. I'm like, man, we're, we've just narrowed down what God wants to do in a big way by trying to contextualize it. So I've appreciated with, with Mars Hill, it was simple, like, man, make churches, or excuse me, make disciples, plant churches here. And really try to highlight, this is really a, a, a simple gospel presentation, like God's purpose laid out right there. So it's not just a cute saying, like we really work through how do we tie in our deep core theological convictions into this statement. So with that, let's dig deeper. And, and I will say this in the notes, please, I did not print them off. I have loaded them. So admittedly, um, they will have slides. I hope you brought stuff to take notes. If somebody wants to, they're in the drive. Um, For folks that didn't download them, bring them. Um, do you know where it's at? I've got it. I'll go do it. Okay. Um, 
So in the notes, and if we'll get some copies, but also they are on the um, Church Community Builder under the Sound City Bible Church group uh, attached. So you can download them there. But I have sections. Basically, every section we go through, I'll say to dig deeper for personal growth. And I've got a list of verses or questions that you can dive into for additional um, to work through these and to kind of hash through these ideas a little more on your own or with your community groups later. So let's unpack the mission statement. Um, one of the first elements is why, why do we do discipleship? Or why do we encourage people to be involved in biblical community? Anybody, this is time for dialogue here. Why? To reflect, to reflect Christ to one another. Okay, what else? Okay, so we can learn what, what it looks like to serve Christ and to walk as a believer. Um, so the Bible tells us to. What else? So we can grow. Okay. So there are different ideas. Often when I ask this question, it's like, well, because we need a place to study the Bible. We need a place for accountability. We need to pray over one another. There are all these different elements that come out. Um, in truth, a lot of those are not the why, those are the how or the what. Um, and if you're taking notes, you can write down Simon Sinek. He does this great job. There's a YouTube video where he talks about like the why and the importance of knowing the why. You've got to get your why down first, and uh, it has a dramatic impact when you lead with a why. So for us, a lot of those things listed are, are biblical and are true, but they're not necessarily the underlying why. The why really starts with the glory of God. So let's look at scripture and let's unpack this idea of the glory of God. And this is where, in essence, our mission statement starts. We want to glorify God by dot, 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 dot. So it starts with that idea of glorifying God. If we look at Ephesians 1, 7 through 14, um, and I just realized, Eric, if you're in the back, I don't have a timer up there and I could end up all over the place if I don't have something to keep me honest. So maybe a 45-minute countdown. I think we're about 15 minutes in. I'm worked up enough, I could probably do it. So 45 will work, though. Uh, Ephesians 1, 7 through 14. Um, I think I'm on the right slide there. Uh, and I'm just going to hit some of the highlights. I'm not going to read the entire verse or context, but I'm trying to draw out the specific notion of God's glory. So in Ephesians 1, it talks about um, that we have redemption, that, that God has saved us. But all of this stuff that he's done for us, it was according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, meaning God had a, a plan in mind before the beginning of time that he had already envisioned for the entirety of time. And that plan uh, was in him that we've entangled. Oh, excuse me. That plan was to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. Now, he did this uh, through Jesus. He said, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Skipping down a little bit, it says, uh, might be to the praise of his glory. So we were saved for the praise of his glory. And then at the end of it, it says, uh, the Holy Spirit's our guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. So highlighting that phrase, to the praise of his glory, they say that several times in that section. And the idea is this. God had a plan from the beginning of time, before it all started, before it all began, he had a plan to display his glory. That plan, he knew that we were going to choose sin, that we were going to go our own way, and he was going to have a chance to send his son to redeem and restore us. And in the sending of Jesus 
was the means by which he displayed just how great his love and his grace was. So then us being redeemed was an, an outworking of that. It was God's way to show the rest of the world, look how great my love is. I have redeemed and, and restored this unlovable people. That's how great my goodness and my grace is. So all of that, our redemption, and then our charge to be ambassadors and to share that message with others, that's all a part of God's plan to display his glory. So when we say, man, we're here to grow as disciples, it's not about us it's not a, like, the, the sum total of the gospel does not culminate in us being saved and our lives getting better. The sum total of the gospel culminates in God's glory being displayed. We're just gracious recipients of getting to be a part of displaying his glory. Is that making sense? Y'all tracking with me? So I say that for the sake of, often folks will come into community, you're like, man, I'm broken, and I just, man, people have told me I need Jesus. And tell me if you've ever seen this, but often the, the thought that's running in the back of your mind, you can almost see it is, so if I show up and I start doing these things you're telling me, my life will get happier, right? Like, they're still looking for their happiness. They don't have a clue about God's glory yet. They just want him to make their life better. That's what I love in the Redemption Group's book. They talk about God redeeming and restoring the Israelites. And, and they constantly kept saying, well, where's the promised land? Where's the promised land? And God was like, no, 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 you're missing it. Like, my glory, like, my presence, that's the promise. Like, that's the, the real blessing. And if I send you to the promised land and you're missing the whole fact that I'm here in your midst, you're missing the biggest blessing I could give you. So God allowed them trial after trial to strip away their idolatries and show them, man, my gift is that I'm here with you. And then everything else is an afterthought. So for us, as we lead and as we shepherd, we've got to continually remember the reason we call people to discipleship, the reason we do community group isn't to make life happier for all the various things or just so we can have a place to study our Bible all of those things are the way that we go about accomplishing the why, and the why is to display God's glory. Making sense? So, um, what was I on there? The glory of God. Okay, so, why do we do discipleship? We do it for the glory of God. We looked at scripture. There we go. So then the next one, next question, um, getting into the next piece of our our uh, mission statement here. When you hear proclaiming Jesus, so our mission statement is for the glory of God, proclaiming Jesus, being disciples, making disciples. So this proclaiming Jesus, when you all hear proclaiming Jesus, what comes to your mind? Like, what does this mean for you? If we want to connect the dots and we're going to see our piece in this, like, what comes to mind when you hear proclaiming Jesus? Okay, sharing the gospel. Does anybody hear that and just think, well, that's Pastor Aaron's part, like that's the, the from the stage. Like, does anybody think that when they hear proclaiming the gospel? A few? Okay. Um, I think that's a common thing. People hear proclaim Jesus, and often people think, well, cool, that's the pastor's job. Um, and then my job starts after that. I receive grace after he's proclaimed the gospel. Um, the truth is proclamation of Jesus is something we are all called to. So let's unpack this for a little bit. Let's look at some uh, scriptures here. John 20, 21, uh, Jesus with his disciples, and he says, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, um, even I am sending you. Uh, in Matthew 28, 16 to 20, uh, there's a lot of verses there, but you know, there's the, the, the kind of pinnacle charge there of go therefore and make disciples of all the nation. This idea that, hey, God sent me into the world to make disciples, and now that I'm leaving, I'm sending all of you. Go in the world and make disciples. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, 20. Uh, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. 
This one I love, man. This, there's a whole section there that I would encourage y'all to dive into more later. But this idea that God has redeemed and restored us, and, and we are the means through which he wants to spread that word. So he's made us ambassadors. That's a charge for all of us as believers. So as an ambassador, we're supposed to go carry that message that God's given us and to share that message with others. So there is a very clear call that we are all charged to become ambassadors. Now, the question is, are you going to be a good ambassador or a bad ambassador? If you're representing the king, you want to do that well. So you want to learn how to communicate that message well. And our heart would be as a church to train and equip everyone so they would feel equipped as ambassadors so that you could boldly and clearly articulate the message of the gospel to other people. Um, Acts 8, 26 through 40 um, I love the context of this, and in essence, I'll read a fair chunk of this. Uh, but there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasures. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him, and he heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and he asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless somebody guides me? So he invited Philip to come and to sit down with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, and he reads a handful of things, and I'm going to skip to 35. It says, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Um, I think what's exciting about this, he's just doing life. There's some guy that's wrestling with stuff, and he's like, man, I don't get what this means. And he came alongside, and he said, man, let me, let me use scripture to just unpack the whole of what this means. And he just talked the gospel to him and he shared with him about the life of Jesus and how the threat of Jesus and God's redeeming work, that purpose that he set in motion from the beginning of time. He's like, man, this is how that plays out all the way through. And so this is what it means. And we was able to share the gospel with him. Um, the proclamation of the word is not just some gift of or oratory prowess from the stage. Like it's just living life and taking what God has imparted in you and talking to others about it in the context of the life you're living. So here Philip, he wasn't in the synagogue. He wasn't out in front of a bunch of people. Often people are like, man, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a leader. Like I don't like to be in front of large groups. I'm like, that's fine. But you talk to your friends, right? Like um, the book Instrument in a Redeemer's Hands, it begins and it basically says, we're all counselors. Like, all of your friends are regular to come in and ask you questions. What do you think about this movie? What do you think about this blouse? What do you think about this whatever? The question is, are you a good counselor or a bad counselor? And so we all have a chance to speak words of influence in people's lives. The question is, are we being equipped to do it fruitfully? And are we being equipped to where we can do it with, with a health of the gospel? Or are we just spouting off our own ideas about things? So as a church, we want to all understand our call and our charge to proclaim the gospel. Um, kind of wrote this as a piece to, to kind of read. Proclamation of the gospel is both a formal and informal endeavor. There's the formal proclamation of the word as seen when Jesus taught in the temples, but there's also the informal proclamation as seen when Jesus and the disciples would explain how God's word was relevant for life in the midst of doing life with people. Think about God had the formal teaching in the synagogue, but a lot of his best teaching was just when he was hanging out in, in the parables, like walking through the fields. And he's like, you know, this is like the farmer when he sows this. And next thing you know, with these vibrant parables and these vibrant gospel truths. So some of the most life-impacting and life-changing gospel moments for people will not just be in a sermon, but some of those most life-changing moments will be when you're unpacking the word with them and talking about how that's relevant in the context of their life. Does that make sense? So this is an incredible invitation God gives us to be a part of the work that he's doing. And this is something that we are all charged with. 
Now, let me ask, we can be honest here. Um, how many of you are intimidated or scared by the thought that you're called to proclaim Jesus? Like, does that, does that make anybody else nervous? Like the thought of sharing the gospel with somebody. Okay, so you are not alone. Um, recognize, though, that fear should not keep us from getting equipped and keep us from moving forward. That's where obedience comes in. Uh, you think about the Israelites, they're at the Red Sea, and they're thinking, wait a minute, like the enemy's behind us, we're about to get crushed, and you're telling us to walk into the water like we'll drown, but there is that step of faith. We're going to step forward, and God parting the waters. I mean, you see throughout Scripture, there's this call, like, are you going to trust me? Because I want to show up and do something miraculous, but I've put it in a place where you're going to have to rely on me. Because if it was always stuff we could do on our own strength without any worry or concern, we would never know what dependence on the Lord looks like. Does that make sense? So that little bit of fear and that, you know, that, that concern or that hesitation, don't ever let you think, well, that must be God telling me I shouldn't do this. Let that be known that maybe that's God saying, hey, I'm calling you to a place where you're out of your depth, so you'll have to trust on me because I want you to learn dependence on me. Does that make sense? So... Um, with the next question there, kind of leading into the next section, which would be um, the next section of our mission statement, what's the order of events? Do we repent and receive grace, or do we receive grace leading us to repentance? The second? Oh, yeah. This is a much bigger dialogue, and if you're like, wait a minute, hold on, um, there's a much bigger dialogue around this, but hopefully in just the stuff we're going to walk through, we can take a look. Yes? Huh? Um, there, there are elements where there is repentance leading to grace, but in the overarching span of things, we believe that it is God who empowers us. You think about Lazarus, a great, great story. Like, he's dead. Dead and literally dead, but it says we are dead in our trespasses. So Lazarus is a picture of that. When God called him forth, like, he could not do anything. It was purely God's grace calling him from death to life. And similarly, in our sin, we are powerless now as God gives us grace enlightens our hearts and empowers us, there is a call to respond. But so let's just look through a host of verses here and this idea of receiving grace. Yes, sir. Please. That was very thoughtful of you guys. I kind of did the dirty, like, I'm just going to post it and eventually people are going to learn. They better get tied into CCB and start looking for stuff or they're going to miss out. Your other pastors are more loving. Um, where were they? Okay, so let's look at Scripture. Ephesians 1, 3 to 23. Uh, and I've already read some of these verses earlier, but it says, uh, starting in verse 4, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. So God had already taken a look and said, Man, for me to display my glory, I'm going to choose Him, and I'm going to choose her. There was a, a choosing of us before the, even the beginning of time so that we could be vessels for His message of His glory and His redeeming work. Um, verse 5, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, which again was to the glory of his grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, for, great, for by grace you have been saved through faith, uh, through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. Um, there was a gal who I recently talked with, and she said, I, basically, she was like, I'm bitter at churches. I had no interest in being a part of churches. I was sick of it. But then I saw the drama unfolding with your church, and I happened to read an article that one of your pastors wrote, and I thought, man, if, if your pastors lead with that honesty and repentance, and they can admit that they have shortcomings, she's like, that's a church I think I could go to. And basically, as her story unfolded, it was a degree of 
everywhere she'd been, the pastors were kind of like, well, when you follow Jesus, you'll be perfect and your life will be happy like mine. And they're just living these lives like Pharisees. Like, look at all the boxes we've checked. Maybe someday with enough willpower, you can be as good as us. We don't ever want to be that church. It is by God's grace alone, but for the grace of God, we would be as wretched and just as engrossed in sin as anybody. It is God's grace that redeems and restores us and empowers us to choose to worship him instead of choosing our own idolatries. And um, it is his grace alone that corrects our identity distortions and the things that would lead us astray from him and brings us back into reconciled relationship with him and with one another. So we want to be a church that continually leads out of that grace, understanding that it, it is God who has graciously um, uh, loved us and, and, and redeemed and restored us. Looking at Romans 8, 15 to 17, uh, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Now, you notice in all of these words, are these active words like on our part? Like are these things we've done or are these active words on God's part, active things he's done? Again and again and again, they're the words that show that God has taken action. Um, side note here, if, God, I'm going to get these words wrong. Uh, what are the two words, uh, the the... What God's done and how you respond, uh, indicative and imperative. I can't remember which is which. Which is indicative is what God's done, and then imperative is your call to respond. If you look through Scripture, there are never any naked imperatives, meaning God never comes in and says, hey, go do X, unless previously he has already said, here's what I've done. So, man, write those two words down, and it'll, it'll change the way you study Scripture. When you start realizing everything God charges me with, He has first paved the way and done it for me, and then called me to respond, and empowered me to respond. So, indicatives and imperatives, that'll transform the way you look at Scripture. Um, and even if you can't remember the words, if you remember the ideas, it'll still be helpful. Uh, Hebrews 10, 19-23. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus... By the new and living way, he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. So we see verse after verse after verse that it all starts with the gift of grace we've received. None of us has anything to boast in except for the gracious work of Jesus in our life. Man, as a church, we want to be a place full of humble people who who can be open and walk in the light and be transparent. I don't ever want to be a church that says, oh, I'm so sorry your life's broken up. Well, maybe in a few years, if you really work hard, you can look good like me. Like, I want to be able to lead with the fact that I still struggle. There's still sin. There's still brokenness. And it is God's grace that continually draws me forward. We want people to see an honest picture that it's God's love and redeeming work and that we are all in the progress of being sanctified. None of us have reached perfection and have a right to look down with arrogance on anyone else. Amen? So that leads us to the next section, being disciples. So this is a fun one. Um, how would you define what it means to be a disciple? What's really fun is if you can get the whole room to write their definition down, and then you put them all up on the board, and you see how different they all are. That's a, a, we don't have time for that, but that's a pretty compelling way to go through this. But let me hear just what are some of the different elements of what it means to be a disciple? Student, that's a great one. Follower, great. Uh, having glory to God, enjoying Him eternally, being obedient, other dynamics, other elements. Being repentant, absolutely. Okay? Um, I'll be honest, this one, when I thought about the training today, I was like, Lord, please like, have the whole church here because 
along the way, like we'll have these talks with community group leaders, we'll talk about it, but then I'll meet people that are in community groups. I'll meet pe- I've had this discussion with people that have been at Mars Hill for years. And they'll say, man, I'm just really struggling. I, like, I know we do community group and we do this, and they kind of start talking about certain elements that they see lived out, and they're like, but I don't really know what biblical discipleship means. Like, I, I, I don't feel really comfortable like that I could walk somebody through discipleship. And I'm like... And this is like, this should be core to everyone. And, it, you know, it's one thing if you're new here, like, man, it's not something you learn overnight. But for people that have been here years and are, like, really dumbfounded, like, and just genuinely saying, I don't, I don't know that I really know what that means. Like, that breaks my heart to think that we're missing the mark. Like, somehow there's a disconnect, and we are not making it clear to people what it means to be a disciple. So, again, as a church, if we're going to be good stewards of what God's called us to, we all need to understand what these elements mean. So, for discipleship. Let's look at John 15, 1 through 11. Uh, and I'm going to, again, hit just some, some sections of this. But he says, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Skipping down to verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing Skipping down to verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, uh, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Uh, Whenever I read this verse, I actually think of the pastor that y'all have traveled with from California, Applegate. What's his name? John Corson. So I'm down at this beautiful church in California. They have an outdoor amphitheater that they meet in all summer because it never rains down there. It's just amazing. Beautiful, like flowers and a baptismal tank. And, and he was preaching on this section, and he was like talking, and it's in the middle of wine country. There's vineyards everywhere. And he was like, all right, so the, the plant, it's not like it's over there just like, you know, give me fruit. Like the, the, the plant, it just, it's there. It just is what it is. And so this idea of abiding, it's like, man, you're the... God's the vine. You're just the branch. You can't make the fruit grow any faster. It is all dependent on you as a, like being attached to the vine. So there's life. There's nutrients. All these things come out of the vine and produce the fruit. All you can do is sit there and, by God's grace, be attached to a good vine and uh, see the, the fruit come forth. But it's funny because when he did that, he actually popped a blood vessel and I go to the hospital afterwards. So that's why I always remember like he was so like straining. He like literally... like. Did damage, um, but but it, it's a good reminder. Like we work so hard, and I'm the chief offender of this. I come from a um, my history and my background is such that I struggle with the distortion that I have to do to justify justify myself before the Lord. Like I know it's saved by grace, but then my tendency is now I got a lot of work to do to prove that I'm a good steward with what God's done in my life. And that's a terrible distortion. Like it has to start with abiding in Him and letting His love flow out of us. We can't work ourselves into a frenzy to, to glorify him. Like, he's going to glorify himself. We just need to be tuned in, abiding with him so that he can flow out of us. So being a disciple starts with just abiding. And then there's great tests, the fruit test. Like, do you see the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Love, joy, peace, patience. And if there are elements that are missing, suggest that there are elements of your life that aren't surrendered and where you're not abiding in him. And the truth is we will never have the fruit of the Spirit perfectly manifest. We will never have perfect love, joy, peace, patience. So anytime you see those things that are off, it's a reminder, man, I, need to, I still need to work and abide. Like, I have, again, I'm not perfected. I'm on a road of progress and sanctification. So by God's grace, you continually plug in and seek to abide so that he can continually sanctify and grow you to more fully represent him. And you'll see that in the fruit in your life. 
Ephesians 3, 14 to 19. Um, forgive me for not putting those up. Um, skipping down to verse 17, but it says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Um, this idea of being filled with the fullness of God and growing in the fullness of Christ, these are, I think, really rich elements for us to consider as what it means to be disciples. Ephesians 4, 20 to 24, skipping uh, into verse like 22, but it says, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and the true righteousness, righteousness and holiness. There's this idea that there is a continual work in response to God's grace that we've received to put off the old self, to put off the old way of thinking, to let God's grace continually show us a correct view of ourselves because we are so prone to identity distortion, seeing ourselves out of our old flesh instead of seeing ourselves as the children that God has made us and redeemed and restored us to be. Um, I loved the series we went through a year or two ago about the whole identity series, working through Ephesians, because there is a huge amount of work God has done to make us a new creation. The question is, are we abiding Him abiding in him and living out of that new identity, or are we seeing life in that distorted perspective of our old identity? So we want to put off the old self and put on the new, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So I want everyone to chew on this. I, I was really um, profoundly impacted. I went through retrain a few years ago, and Bill Klim was sharing the section on discipleship. And man, we did a lot of work. We broke into groups, tried to define discipleship. And the more we wrestled with it, the bigger the idea got and the harder it was to nail it down because all of the different things we shared earlier, they're just small facets, but it is such a, a life-encompassing idea. And so I, I love the way he summarized it. After he let us spend like a day, you know, hashing through it futilely, he kind of came back and said this rather succinctly and really powerfully. He said, um, the process through which discipleship is expressed should encompass informational, functional, meaning skill sets, uh, communal, missional, sacramental, and behavioral models in order to expose one's entire life and being to the gospel, that they might understand God's glory and redeeming work in every aspect of their existence. How many of y'all have been a part of community group and you meet folks and everybody, you know, they like, seem like really solid folks, and the longer you get to know them, you're like, oh man, really great folks, but man, there's this area that just they seem blind to, man, it's like just doesn't seem to line up with the gospel at all. Anybody ever seen that or just people in my group looking at me? Um, as we get to know folks, we realize there are aspects, um, and this is where part of me is always surprised, but then I'm like, no, it's not a surprise. Like, it's hard to get one's entire life exposed, but you've done life for a long time, and you realize, like, wow, we haven't ever gone through a section of money, and I just, we just started talking, and I realized, this guy's a terrible steward with his resources, or... Uh, you find out somebody, you know, you get into a series and all of a sudden somebody starts unpacking this whole area of their life that is just distorted and broken and hurting. And you're like, Man, we've known you for years and we've never known that. Well, there's a lot of aspects of our life that God has to redeem and, and work through. And so in community groups uh, or as we do life together in our serving teams, we need to have this mentality, every one of us, that we're charged to expose our entire life and being to the gospel so that people can understand his glory and redeeming work in every aspect of their existence. Now, that's a family project, right? Like, 
I might know somebody in a given context, and I'm going to see certain aspects of their life, but I might miss other aspects. But then they're connected with somebody else serving or in some other place, and those aspects come up. Well, man, I need to know that, that my other brothers are going to love him enough to care for him. Like, we can't just assume that, well, they're in a community group and they do all the heavy lifting. So I just serve with them. I see stuff, but I'm not going to go there. You might be the only one that has seen that, that there that needs to be gone to so you can help them unpack it. So we've got to collectively take ownership of that. And it's not out of judgment of one another. It's out of love for one another. Because when somebody's operating out of idolatry or identity distortions, they're basically operating in death instead of in life that God has called them to. So if we are not addressing those things in a loving way and seeking to build bridges where we can have dialogue about these things, we are allowing our brothers and sisters to continue in death that is robbing them of the joy of life that God has for them. Does that make sense? So again, when we talk about the work of being and making disciples, this is a work for the entire church body. And that's why it's so important for all of us to connect the dots and understand how in every avenue you're involved, there is a chance that you're going to be dealing with somebody where part of their life is going to be exposed. And you're going to be there in that moment with a chance to bring the gospel in a relevant way. And if we're missing that, we're suffering as a body because we're not helping people expose their full lives to this power and the redeeming work of the gospel. So then we get into some next questions here. Um, I won't assume that everybody here is in community groups, and that's okay. Um, but how many of y'all have been in a community group and have really been blessed by that community group, or at the very least have had an individual that is personally invested in you to disciple you in some way? How many have been blessed by community group or being discipled personally? Okay. How many of y'all get nervous about the thought of you being asked to mentor and disciple somebody. Like you've been blessed by it, but the thought of you being asked to do that to somebody else really makes you nervous. So I saw about half the hands go up. Um, I appreciate it. That's a very honest response there. Um, another way to think about it is if, if this week God put a non-believer or a young believer in your life and they wanted to grow and they were asking questions, would you feel capable and competent to take them under your wing and disciple them? You don't have to raise your hands for this one, but really chew on that one. Could you help them establish a firm footing by teaching them what it means to be a disciple of Jesus? Like, could you give them the firm, like, man, here's the core building blocks of what a disciple's life looks like, and, man, you need to have these present to grow. If your answer is no, then that's where I would say we've got work to do. As a body, we need everyone to feel competent and capable of these things because almost, almost every single person raised their hand and said you've been blessed by a community group. Um, what grieves me is when a new person walks in the door, man, I really want, Jesus is working on my life. I want to be discipled. I want to grow. And we go to connect them with the community group, and I start looking through the list, and I'm like, man, they're full, they're full, they're full, they're full. Man, who's going to care for these new people? Um, and I have difficult discussions. I talked to the community group leader today, and we are talking through some dynamics, and I was like, man, y'all have had a healthy, vibrant group. Like, y'all are exercising so many of the healthy elements of discipleship in a biblical community, but... Well, that's great for you guys, and man, I don't want to destroy that. Like, I want the new people coming in the door to get to experience that. So would y'all just pray and consider what it might look like to, in the next six months, nine months, 12 months, work together to think about a plan of how you might plant a new community group or maybe replicate in a way where, like, both of your groups have a little more space so you can each take on some new people because we have new people coming in that are hungry for the gospel. And man, sometimes that's met with a real understanding, and people realize, wow, like, God's actually going to get more people exposed to the gospel like yeah we're in like we want to help other times I hear kind of a man this is really life-giving to us we don't want to let go of this 
And I get that, and I want to give people room to protect those relationships and to grow together. But if we do it at the expense of the new people coming in the door, and we're basically saying, sorry, there's no room, I think of Forrest Gump. It's like, seat taken. Like, find another chair somewhere. Like, that's incredibly unloving. And it completely misses God's missional mandate to go and make disciples. What's embarrassing is we're here in suburbia. Like, we don't even, most of the people that walk in the door aren't even invited by friends. They're just showing up. Like, I don't know, I found you online. You got a 5 o'clock service, so I came. They're just showing, like, God's putting them on our doorstep. And I think, man, how long is he going to do that if we're not stewarding them well? Like, this should be an exciting invitation. Like, most people, like, you go plan a church, you try and launch a community group, you're having to go find people, like, beg them to show up, praying they'll actually listen. We've got people coming, begging to hear, and we're kind of saying, like, sorry, no room for you. I'm like, man, that just breaks my heart and grieves me to think that we would have so little care for the newest people coming in the door. Now, I get that there's a very difficult tension, and I wrestle this a lot, like, if you're constantly replicating, for example, it's hard for a group to have stability and there needs to be a balance there so that there's health in the community group. We don't want to grow at the, at the cost of the health of the disciples we do have. But man, I just invite all of y'all into that tension. Understand it is a constant tension of how do we care for the new folks coming in and love one another well. We don't want to use you guys to, to reach the people we don't yet have. We want to care for everyone here well. But we also want to be intentionally working towards making space and room for the newest people walking in the door. Um, Now, for some of y'all, as y'all are hearing that, part of that charge is going to be there's a call and an invitation and an opportunity for you over the next three, six, nine months, 12. Maybe it's over the next few years, but you should be intentionally exposing yourself to opportunities to get equipped so that when the time comes, you would feel ready and you could boldly say, all right, Lord, I... I see that opportunity and I'm going to step forward and I'm going to help shepherd others. Or maybe that's leading a service team. I tend to default to community groups because that's my particular area of focus. But man, a serve team or whatnot, like don't just show up and do the duty, but thinking, man, Lord, would you maybe be asking me to get equipped so someday I could help shepherd a service team or so I could maybe serve as a service lead or serve as a lead teacher in kids ministry because right now I'm just a helper. Like be thinking about what you can do to become increasingly equipped so that you can be prepared if and when God calls you to take additional responsibilities in the shepherding of the body so that the newest people coming in can be loved and cared for with the gospel. Um, host of verses here. And I think um, I've covered through some of these. Um, a few additional things to hit. Uh, we've talked about Ephesians 4 before, but equip the saints for the work of the ministry. The Our role as pastors, we are in no way imagining that we are going to run all of the different ministries of the church. Uh, Conversely, we know we cannot, and our charge is to equip you guys to do the work of the ministry. So we're very keen to come alongside and to support and to equip the folks here at the church to do the work of the ministry. Uh, Ephesians 4.25, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Again, it is a charge for all of us to be making disciples. And that starts with just the simple, uh, a great definition I heard for discipleship at one point was biblical truths conveyed through relational intentionality. Just taking the relationships God's given you and using them intentionally to convey biblical truths to one another. At a minimum, that's a starting point for all of us. Even if you're not called to leading groups or teams or community groups, in a community group, as God's exposing things, he is calling you to speak truth to the brother. It is not just the community group leader's job to be the single sayer of truth. All of you are there to have insight and to share and to encourage one another. So that is a collective work for the entire community group to be involved in making and growing one another as disciples. Hebrews 3.12 
uh, through 13, and looking at 13 specifically, it says, Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Man, we are all at risk of being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin without brothers around us constantly speaking into our lives. God has called us into community with one another. Hebrews uh, 10.24, let us consider how to stir one another to loving good works, not neglecting meeting together as some are in, in the habit of, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Um, I haven't really hit on these verses here, but I had written a paper in Retrain talking about just the, the philosophy of ministry and um, kind of the crux of it was when you look at the way Jesus did ministry, Jesus modeled the work of discipleship making by engaging people through a wide spectrum of social classes, social settings, teaching methods, and styles of correction. And in so doing, he taught his disciples the importance of engaging people in ways that are relevant to them and not by a mere means of a canned program or some religious process. So through this dynamic and multifaceted approach, Jesus created a means by which skeptics, seekers, and believers could hear the gospel and come to know him. Um, I put this in here just for the sake of there's no single method where discipleship is going to be accomplished. Um, you know, the community groups, they're our primary method through which we try to exercise discipleship and care and counseling and things of that for folks. But community groups are not synonymous with biblical community. You could be in part of a community group that is missing some core aspects of biblical community and be fooling yourself. Uh, you could be a part of a community group that is not engaging in certain core aspects of what it means to be a disciple's life, and you would be really missing out. Um, at the same time, you cannot be in a community group, but you could have all of the elements of healthy discipleship and all of the elements of healthy biblical community in your life, and you could be vibrant and growing as a healthy believer. So we have to separate the methods um, from God's charge to be disciples and to be in biblical community. And we need to understand what those are so everyone can evaluate their life and determine, do I have these elements represented? Because if not, I'm missing out on a lot of the life, that, the health that God has called me to. Does that make sense? So as we think about that and as a church, we can never again assume, well, gosh, I know Robert McCarty's in a community group, so when we're serving together, I don't have to worry about stuff. His other community group will do that. Instead, I should be thinking, man, Jesus engaged across a number of settings and contexts. So community group's one context, but I have a different context. I might see things, or God might put things on my heart, or I might be able to encourage him in a way that he's not getting in his community group. So everywhere we're engaging people, whether, whether it's serve teams or in community groups or whatnot, those are all important aspects of the entire picture of someone's growth as a disciple of Jesus. We can't just assume because they're in X program, they're covered. Does that make sense? So there's a collective responsibility and ownership that we should have over this as we're connecting with one another and doing uh, life here at the church together. So that kind of works us through, in very quick strokes, the, the mission statement that we've been given as a church and some of our convictions for why that mission statement has been written the way it is. My hope and my prayer is that if y'all heard those things, it would stir your heart with a deeper understanding for what that mission statement is, but more importantly, for what that means for you as an individual and how that's going to look for you to live out that mission statement. We want you to feel ownership and to see clearly how that connects and what that means as you live as a disciple here at the church. So what's going to come for the rest of the year? Um, we are going to dive into different aspects because most every one of the topics I've quickly touched on deserves far more time to really unpack it. Um, 
And as I kind of started with earlier, in some regards, many of you are the ones that are already exposed. I'm seeing a lot of the faces. A lot of you guys are the ones that have been at discipleship training and, and community group leader training and are probably more familiar with these. And a lot of the people that we need here that we want to train and equip that are probably the ones saying, hey, I don't feel like I really get discipleship or, man, my community group doesn't seem life-giving and I don't, I don't know, like I don't really get what biblical community is supposed to be. A lot of them are the people that are probably not here. So I'm going to ask all of y'all to be a part of the, the crew to, to just encourage people to be a part of this in the future so that we can have more of the people in the church really hearing, being trained on, and understanding our mission statement and what it means. So here's what we're going to cover, and this will help you as you um, talk with folks and invite them along. You can hopefully have an idea for what you're inviting them to. Uh, in the next session, Pastor Shane's going to take a lion's share and lead us through God's glory. He's done a lot of study and work on just looking at the, a survey of Scripture and how from the beginning to the end, it talks about God's plan for His glory be displayed and how it truly is all about His glory being upheld. And so we're going to take time and really dive in and just enjoy reading through a survey of Scriptures to bring that to light. That'll be in April, April 19th. Um, then in May, we're going to talk about the building blocks of a disciple's life. So we're going to really unpack, again, we want to separate all of our methods and the different programs from the church, and we just want to say, you know what, here are the building blocks. And if these are all present in your life, you might not need some of the program. Um, if you're in a community group and these are missing, then you need to go back to your leader and you need to kind of like, hey, we got some work to do. We're missing some core building blocks here. We've got an unstable foundation. So we want to walk through that so you all, all would know. We want everyone to be able to look at their life and evaluate, are these present or not? And if not, we want you to know what needs to be added in, again, to have a healthy vibrant walk with the Lord. Um, in session four, we're going to talk about knowing and using your spiritual gifts. Um, a quick note, in June, we will be doing a church-wide family gathering type of a meeting. Um, February, uh, same thing in March. So in March and June, each quarter, we will replace one of these Sunday trainings with a church-wide family update. Here's the latest news. We will be doing collective church prayer. That's a huge value of ours, and so we've purposely intended those so every quarter we can have at least one chance to come together as a church and pray. So those dates aren't listed, but just know in the months that aren't represented, those are the church-wide gatherings. We really hope you'll be here for those. Um, so then knowing and using your spiritual gifts, we want people to understand how has God uniquely gifted them and how does that, because uh, we really believe you are most satisfied in Christ and he's most satisfied with you when you are using the gifts he's given you to build up the body of, excuse me, the body of Christ. And there's plenty of scripture that talks about as a body, there are different members and different parts and each one has its own function. Uh, you know, each one has its own part to play. And so we can't, again, look down arrogantly on others and say, ah, well, your gifts only blah. It's like, no, all of those are vibrant and critical. There's some historic distortions that we've probably had as a church. Um, one of which is an example. Um, when I've heard prophet, priest, and king talked about um, and taught Often it's this idea that, you know, in the Old Testament there was these different offices and there was a prophetic word that Jesus would, you know, fulfill those perfectly. And, well, if we're called, called to be the fullness of Christ, we really should be growing as prophets, priests, and king. Because if, and the distortion has been often, well, I'm a priest, well, I'm a king, well, I'm a prophet. And there can even be a, a sense of arrogance, like, well, prophet is more important than priest or king. And it's like, no, those are all aspects of who Christ was. We need to be growing in all of them. And I'll never be all of them perfectly. So if I'm a prophet or a priest king, you know, strength, and I'm terrible with the prophetic, I need prophets around me to safeguard me and to help bring that aspect of wisdom and truth to light so that we can more fully represent Christ. So even in unpacking that and understanding spiritual gifts, we see there's a need for one another, and it's a call to community. So we'll be unpacking that in more full to help people understand their gifts. We'll potentially 
even be looking to find like some sort of gifts assessment test so people can go through that and identify their gifts and then um, help them apply that um, in different areas they can serve the church. Then we'll have a session on building blocks of biblical community. Now, as I said earlier, you can not be in a community group and have all of the elements of healthy biblical community represented and be thriving and growing. You can be in a community group that is missing core elements of biblical community and really not be experiencing life that God's called you to. So we never want to assume community group isn't enough self an answer. It is a method that we use and when done well, we think it covers a lot of the elements of biblical community, but we just, we, people need to be engaged and think more critically to understand what it is and what it isn't. So we'll look at the building blocks of biblical community. And then the last session we'll talk about is this idea of a, a spiritual continuum. Um, the idea of the spiritual continuum is, as a new believer, there are certain elements that are going to be really life-giving. And man, if you're studying your word and you're in community, you're just going to be growing. But at a certain point, you might start to plateau. And the catalyst to help you really thrive and grow again in your spiritual life might be a different catalyst for you as a maturing believer than it was when you were a brand new believer. So often people, they've been in the church a long time. Uh, there was a big study that Willow Creek Church did, and they had this huge church. They did the survey, and they found out like 40% or more of their church was dissatisfied and looking to leave. And they said, man, we really have to rethink things. And they realized that they had a young, growing church, and they had all these programs for this stage, but then they hit a certain maturing point, and those, those avenues they had used previously were not as compelling. So in the research, they realized, oh, you're at a more mature stage now. You have different areas that you need to be challenged in for you to continue to thrive and grow. So we'll be unpacking that and looking at that. So if you're one of the believers, it's like, man, I do feel like it's starting to get a little stagnant. And I don't know, like the things I used to do, they're not life-giving in the same way. That'll be a great session for you to think about what are new dynamics that you might need to be thinking about incorporating in your spiritual life. Um, one of the, like if I was going to spoiler alert and kind of give it away, I think a key element that came out of that was the idea of as people grow, they need to move into some sort of mentoring role. And so historically, the just general model that community groups had was, man, as you're going, you apprentice. And then as you grow from an apprentice, you have a chance to lead a group. And that gave a lot of people a chance to grow in mentoring. And so I think there was an encouragement there. But for people that didn't feel that specific call to lead a community group, you might be one of those that's feeling stifled. And you're like, man, I don't know what I should do. And the, the, the answer might be, man, it's time for you to grow into a mentoring role. We just might need to find a different avenue of leading a community group. It's not a specific area you feel called to mentor, but we want to be able to talk about where you're in that continuum. And if you're called to mentor or called to something else, and we need to, you know, we want to make sure as a pastoral team that we're providing those avenues so folks can continue to grow and not just plateau and get stifled or frustrated at, you know, parts of the walk as they get further down the road. Does that make sense? So... That kind of covers, uh, I know that was kind of a fast-talking, fast-paced deal. Um, hopefully, you all now have the printouts. Thank you, Pastor Shane. If you didn't, again, they're on CCB, so you can go and download those. Uh, I want to highlight for everybody that there are, through the notes, a number of sections. Every section we went through, I basically had additional questions that you can, and I would encourage you to go back and really chew on and to think about. Because, again, if you have the teaching and it sounds great, but you walk out and there's not a real clear understanding of how to connect the dots. Like, so what does this mean for you? How are you living out these elements of the mission statement in your life and in the context God's put you in the church? If we're not able to connect those dots, then we're really doing a disservice for you. It's like great ideas out here, but it's not actually leading to transformation. So chew on those, wrestle through those. If you are struggling to identify how those dots connect, unpack it with your community group leaders or your service team leaders. And if you're still struggling, like please come find myself or one of the other pastors. We'd love to dive in and talk about this stuff with you. Um,
So get the notes from today, work through the sections titled Digging Deeper for Personal Growth, talk through those with your community group leader, coach, or service team leader. Now I'm gonna go ahead and, um, I, I'm gonna, if I can figure out where to point this thing. It works sometimes. There we go. You have to use flair with that one. Um, breakouts. So I'm going to list the breakouts here. Uh, Pastor Shane and kids ministry. If Let me start with this. Um, community group leaders, we would ask that you prioritize the community group section. But if you're married, for example, like maybe one of you attends community group breakout and the other one can go to kids ministry if you're involved in kids. Um, kids is a huge one because there's a lot of change going on in there. So we do want you all to be aware of what's going on. Um, the service teams, uh, Jonathan Petroff is going to take the worship and production guys. Jonathan, do you all want to meet in here or do you want to meet in your band room? We can bump you all to another room, though. Where do you want to be, Jonathan? Okay, so production team in here. Security team is going to take the band room. Um, Linda Freiberg was going to meet with the hospitality folks. Um, I was thinking you all can start in the kitchen in case you want to do any practical training, but we have plenty of rooms in the B-Wing, so if you all want to go sit down, you can go grab a, a room in the B-Wing. Um, Cooper Robertson, security already said, y'all are in the, the, the band room. Uh, change the B3. We've had some changes since I had written these up. So that'll be the band room for you guys, right? And then Kyle Hackett, if you are not in one of the teams we've already listed, you're not a community group guy, and you're just, man, not sure where you should go, jump in with Kyle Hackett. Kyle, raise your hand. Kyle is one of our service team leads, and he is just going to take kind of all of the rest of the service team. So like if you're financial stewards, uh, and, and you know, there's not a breakout for financial stewards, you would go with Kyle. If you're a greeter, you can go with Kyle. So he'll just kind of cover everyone else. Originally, the community groups were going to break out independently, but met with the coaches yesterday morning, and we decided we'll do a single breakout. So we'll be in that first room in B5 over in the B wing. So real quick, before I dismiss, um, and I won't rabbit trail, but I want to at least have a sense. Are there any, is, if, if we're hearing all this, has anybody got questions Pushback. I mean, I kind of told you early on to interrupt. Since no one did, I'm trusting we're all good. But so one thing I've been running into a lot when we talk about discipleship leaders and training um, is the fact that a lot of people have the mentality that discipleship is with other Christians by default. Yep. Yep. We'll talk about that for sure in that session. So one of the aspects we learn as we look at the life of Christ is he referred to the disciples as everyone who was coming to learn, but occasionally there was a hard word. And it would say, and they would walk away. And in essence, like they weren't true believers. They were there learning and growing, but hadn't hit the point of conversion. So there's a whole bit around that, this idea that the gospel is for everyone. Discipleship is for the non-believer all the way through to the maturing believer. There's a point of decision in there, but too often we think of disciples as those who are actually saved. And so we can become very inward focused, like we're just maturing those that have already met Christ. But we have to have room and space for the non-believer to come and to press in and to hear about Jesus. So I think that's worth noting, and we'll dive into that more in that particular session on the building blocks of disciples' life. Yeah, context might be different, but that's all part of the continuum. So there's, again, it has to be a diverse. It's not all going to be fixed in one, you know, we have to have a, a very diverse approach to how we make disciples just like Jesus did. I'm saying you should come back to that training and we will have fun diving into that topic more. What else? 
We can talk more before then, but I'm not going to rabbit trail on it now. Any other big questions? Okay, well, let's go hit the breakouts. Uh, it is 2.35. My one request is even if things are still cranking along, if you have kids in kids' ministry, stop and go get them so that you are picking them up by um, um, 3.30. Like, we want to be very respectful. These are people from outside the church who have graciously come to serve us so that you could be here and be a part of this. Um, they've been awesome just in their response and their eagerness to serve, but we want to be respectful of their time and get them freed up so they can get out of here. So head to your breakouts, and then just make sure you're done and picking up kids by 3.30. Uh, if you need to take a bathroom break on your way to your breakout, do so, and uh, you all get started as soon as you're able.